All right, all right, we can go ahead and get started. Welcome to North Village Church. My name is Michael. It's great to see you this morning. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. If you're new here this morning, grab uh, this devotional in the back. It's our gift to you. It kind of guides what we do on Sunday mornings. We actually planned that out a year in advance, and so we're trusting the Lord to lead us uh, into, his, into his word throughout the year. Uh, if you're new, we also do tablets through the aisle. That's just a way to kind of check in with our church family. You know, feel free to provide whatever information you're comfortable with. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to learn about what Jesus is doing at North Village Church. Uh, this morning, we are going to talk about conflict and fighting. Um, but before we do, we do want to pause uh, just for a moment and uh, remember uh, the tragedy that took place in Uvalde, uh, Texas, uh, last week. And so would you just bow your head uh, and pray with me? Well, Father in heaven, um, it's with great sadness that we come before you this morning. I'm sure we've all been deeply affected uh, by this shooting in, in one way or another, and, and so we want to mourn uh, with those whose lives uh, were lost, and we want to grieve this horrible event, because you grieve horrible events. I pray that you would help us not to ignore the thoughts and feelings we have around pain and loss, but help us to come to you with those thoughts and feelings. Help us to weep. Help us to mourn. Help us to grieve. At the same time, help us to grieve as a people who have hope. We have hope that horrible events like this won't happen forever. We have hope that we aren't alone in these horrible events. We have hope that your word teaches us to cry out to you. The psalmist cry out, hear my cry, O God, give heed to my prayer. We have hope because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that one day all the injustice of the world will be taken into account. And we who are yours will reign with you for eternity. So, Father, would you give us that type of hope this morning? We pray for the survivors and witnesses of this horrible event. We pray that the body of Christ would rise up as a, as a, as a display of comfort and grace to those who are walking through this horrible event. We pray that justice would be done and steps would be taken so that we don't have to see any more horrible events like this uh, in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to look at God's word and we're going to see how to respond to horrible events. We're going to see how to respond to conflict and, and the fighting that, that happens internally, externally, globally, right? We're seeing fighting happen between countries in, in the Ukraine and Russia. We're, we're seeing fighting in the news right now, how to navigate what happened in Uvalde with, with politicians and gun laws and Second Amendment. And how do you navigate those problems? There's fighting. There's fighting at the internal, at the personal level. 
Each of us, on some level, there's things that are taking place in our lives. Things, we're doing things that we don't want to do. There's a fight going on. How do we do and how do we respond to this fighting? The assumption from our culture is that we just need better education. If we educated people, you wouldn't have these fights, right? That's what our culture says. Uh, the assumption if we just create more laws, if we could just create enough laws, we could limit the fighting. Or, or maybe we just need to move out in the middle of nowhere, right? Move to, everybody move to Idaho and Wyoming and, and uh, you know, Montana so we don't have to be around one another, so that we don't have to fight, right? That's what our culture has to offer, but God's word has a better answer. And, and this morning, we're going to see three subpoints, just so you see where we're going. We're going to see the context of our passage, the command of our passage, and the comfort of God's word. And so let's look at this first one, the context Grab that devotional, turn to page 200 in the devotional. You're going to see some questions that's to guide you throughout the week. This morning, we're just going to look at God's word. We're going to look at four verses this morning, really dig deep. Look at verses 1 to 2. I'll read. You follow along. It says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So that word therefore, right there in verse 1, therefore, that's a connecting word. All right, chapter 2, being connected to chapter 1. Last Sunday, we saw the Apostle Paul, verses 1 to 26, right? He, he's bringing encouragement. And then last Sunday, we saw in verse 27, the tone of the letter changes. In verses 27 to 30, the tone changes so that there's a charge. We saw this last Sunday. You can go on YouTube. There's a charge to stand firm, right? Stand firm of the opposition of the day. To stand firm. And in chapter 2, we see the primary opposition for the Philippian church is the opposition they're experiencing with one another. Right? The opposition just isn't out there that sometimes we have opposition within our relationships with one another. So look at verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also the interest of others. So in verses 3 and 4, we see the people of the Philippian church, they're fighting with one another. Those are all fighting words, right? Selfishness, humble, not only your interest, but the interest of others because they're struggling Look, they, they have opposition around them, and then they disagree to how to resolve the opposition around them. Does that make sense? I mean, how much does that apply to our context in 2022, right? We got opposition uh, around the uh, economy, around, uh, you know, statements of faith, what happened in Uvalde, what politicians are doing, about how to walk through the pandemic, like there's, there's opposition all around us, and, and what happens is that each one of us in this room, we all think that we know the best way to walk through that opposition, and that our way is the best way, and everybody else's way is, or they're morons, right? That's what we, I mean, nobody in here thinks that, but people out there, they say stuff, right, right? Sometimes we do as well, that my idea 
is, I, I know exactly what we should do with these gun laws. I know exactly what we should do with the Second Amendment. I know exactly what we should do with mental health. I know exactly that teachers should do this. and the pool. You wouldn't have this problem if you just did what I said to do, right? It would be so great if everybody did what I said. That's what we think to ourselves. And the problem is that everybody in this room also has that same opinion and all of us have at least, you know, minimal variations so that it creates fighting, opposition, conflict, right? Look at verses 3 and 4. In the Philippian church, they're in the midst of one of those arguments. They're displaying characteristics of selfishness, empty conceit. That word empty conceit in the original language, it's a compound word. Uh, it's a compound word, kinodoxia. Kino meaning empty, doxia meaning glory. Empty conceit, that's empty glory. That the Philippian church, human beings, that we, we chase after you know, our opinions in life, and he's telling you right there in verse 3, that it's, a, it's an empty glory. Right? That when, we, when we push forward the things that we want to have happen the way we want to have happen, it's, it's a pursuit of our own glory. Right? There's a pride layer in there that we know best. And he says it's empty glory. When we think we have the answer to whatever headlines in the news, that's kinodoxia, empty glory. When we think everybody else's opinion is stupid, we don't say that out loud, but that's what we're thinking. You're like, moron, right? I mean, morons, morons, they're morons. Kinodoxia, it's empty conceit, it's empty glory. When we think that our comment on social media, and we think this, this is actually going to make a difference. <laughs> what I'm about to post is, I mean, it may bring world peace. Like, that's the... The, like, oh, we go back like two hours later, like, how many, two likes? Okay, I thought I would get better than two likes. I mean, just right, it's like, it's empty glory. But that's what we do. We love, we love just this idea that we have the solution. We love those moments when we're standing in a circle at work, with family, friends, at church, and there's a pause. Somebody inhales, and that's our moment. That's when we bring it all together. We're going to put a bow on like, bam! That's, and we're just like, and we love it when everybody comes, stares at us, that we have the solution. We love how it feels to blast people on social media. Not in here. Those people out there, right? In fact, what our passage is teaching us is that not only do we love the pursuits of empty glory, but that the pursuit of empty glory is fracturing our relationships with one another. Right? That we're, we're leaving a trail of blood relationally for our drop-the-mic types of moments, and we feel justified. Like, if we're honest with ourselves, we're like, well, they, they, they got what's coming to them. I'm just speaking the truth. I'm just telling it like it is. Get out the kitchen if it's too hot. I mean, we just trail of blood. It's, like, just, you know, it's, like, it's just fighting, right? And we're more vulnerable to these fights than ever before. At the marital level, at the family level, the extended family level. How good is God's word? This is like written for us today in 2022. Like at the, at the local church level, like we're more 
vulnerable to this fighting. Like we all see there's opposition out there, and then we all have different opinions of how to fight that opposition. So it creates actual fighting from within. So that I, I think that you could kind of characterize our lives like this right now. Like maybe before the pandemic, our lives were like this Rudy's cup. Right, you know, we had maybe a good-sized cup. We could kind of go through life. We could kind of take the ups and downs. We could read the headlines. We could be talking to somebody who says something that we don't agree with at all, and we could take it in stride. We would absorb it. I'm just like, oh, that's people have opinions. We would just take it because our cup was big. Like we could, we could absorb it. But then you go through the, the something like the pandemic, just the volatility of our day, and it's like we all have like this size cup, right? It just takes a little. Like, it's just a few comments, and, and then if we're honest, some of us got, like, this side, like, little, little, <laughs> little communion cup. That's why you see people on the road just, like, ready to go, because they're just the littlest thing, and it kind of spills over, right? It's because it's conflict. We're more vulnerable to it than ever before, and God's word is, is speaking into it. How encouraging. God's word is saying, you're not alone. There's, there's people in Scripture that were also... Struggling with that as well. So let's look at our, our second sub point, the command. So we know we're going to experience conflict in life. How do you respond well to that conflict? Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection of compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul gives a list of characteristics. You see it? He's got a list of characteristics of what you look like as a follower of Jesus. That if you profess faith in Jesus, right, this is, this is what our life should look like. Verses 1 and 2. Right? We, we, we titled this series, Heavenly Citizens. Right? People from Germany have characteristics. People from Singapore have characteristics. Americans have characteristics. That's what God's word is. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's certain characteristics, and, and here they are. So let's just talk about them kind of slowly. Characteristics of a heavenly citizen, a follower of Jesus. Well, encouragement in Christ. If you profess faith in Jesus, there's encouragement in Christ. What does that mean? That means, that means Jesus has become personal for you. That before you have faith in Jesus, Jesus is just a historical figure. He's just a, a fictional figure that people talk about. But when you have faith in Jesus, when you believe in Jesus, he becomes personal. There's encouragement in Christ. Right? That's a great question to ask yourself this morning. Is there, has Jesus become personal for you? Right? It happened in my life when I was 18 years old. I didn't grow up around church. I didn't grow up around Jesus. I made fun of people who followed Jesus. They would talk about how Jesus was personal. I'm like, no. Like, he's a, maybe a figure in history or something you made up in your head, but he's not personal. And then by God's grace, somebody shared the gospel with me, who Jesus is, that he's God in the flesh. I was like, what? He died on the cross for my sin? I don't know. He resurrected from the dead, conquering my sin so that I could have life in him, and I believed it. I believed it. It changed my life. And in that moment, Jesus went from this fictional, historical figure to personal. There's encouragement in Christ. Look at that next one. Consolation of love. Consolation of love. Sounds like a backup prize, right? Like, you know, it's the backup, the backup gift. Like, no, that's the best gift. A consolation of love. When you are in Christ, there's comfort. There's strength. To navigate any headline in the news, you have consolation 
of love, fellowship of the Spirit. That's why, that's why faith in Jesus is so important. When you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you. Jesus takes our sin at the cross. He puts it to death. He conquers it. He gives us his righteousness so that God can dwell inside of us, so that the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is dwelling inside you as a follower of Jesus. You have friendship with God. Amen. Affection and compassion. When you're in Christ, this is, this is not only affection and compassion for others, but also affection and compassion from others. This is not about our relationship with God. This is about our relationship with one another. Affection and compassion means we go out of our way for one another in Christ. It's not an obligation. It's a delight. We're committed to one another in Christ. We sacrifice for one another in Christ. We want to help other brothers and sisters in Christ because there's affection and compassion. Therefore, the Apostle Paul is writing verses 1 and 2 so as to say, look at all you have. Write that in your, in your devotional, just the list of all you have in Christ. So as to say, when you have all of this in Christ, why would you forsake it because of an argument about an event in the headlines? I'm not saying they're not important events. They're important events. But, but in comparison to all that we have in Christ, why would you cut people out of your life? Because of something in the news. Why would we turn our backs? Why would we close off our hearts? Why, why would we draw a line in the sand? You follow where Scripture's going? Why? When you have so much in Christ. I mean, just look at verses 1 and 2. Look at God's Word. Just kind of soak that up. Look at all that we have in Christ. Why would we let personal opinions fracture all that we have in Jesus? in our relationships with one another. It's possible you're looking at verses 1 and 2 and you're thrown off by that word if. Maybe some of you are like, I didn't even notice the word if. But for some of us, we're like, if. Why does it say if? If. That doesn't say if. If there's any encouragement. Was there not any encouragement? Why does it say if? Right? It doesn't really translate to our English words in, in 2022. But you need to know deeply embedded in verses 1 and 2. Right there in verse 2, there is a command. Look at it. There is a command to seek unity within the body of Christ. God's word is commanding, not, not if you got time, not if it's convenient. There's a command, so it's strong, command. And so what that word if, that word if is so good. Those two little letters are so good because the if is connecting the command to the gospel. Right? He's, he's connecting the command to the gospel, so as to say, like, if, it's not if doubt, it's if then. Like, if you have encouragement in Christ, if you've experienced that, then of course you seek unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Does that make sense? Isn't that so good? Just reminding us of the gospel, those two little words. If, there's, if you found a consolation of love, then of course you seek unity. Of course you don't give up on one another. 
If you've experienced fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if you've experienced affection and compassion, then of course we don't give up quickly. The if connects the command to all we have in Christ. So good. In fact, you could reverse it. You could reverse it, that if you're sitting here this morning and you're just being honest with yourself and and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know that I've ever experienced encouragement in Christ. Consolation of love, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, affection and compassion. I, I know those words, but I've never experienced that. Then it's possible you've never experienced faith in Jesus. I went to summer camp, and I sing on the worship team, and I've done Bible studies. When you know Jesus, you see these characteristics in your life. And so if you don't see these characteristics, turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Let's look at our our third sub-point, the comfort. Because the command is, is firm. So let's look... Some comfort. How do we respond to this conflict and fight? And let's look at verse 2. We're going to double-click on verse 2 again. It says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So, yes, verse 2, the Apostle Paul, God's word acknowledges fights and conflicts and quarrels. It's going to happen. And at the same time, there's a command to seek unity, right? The, the conflict and the, and the fights, they don't justify the trail of blood. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. There's there. And now seek unity with one another. So that we must ask ourselves this morning, for you who are professors of faith in Jesus, that if you profess to follow Jesus, then to ask ourselves, genuinely, are we pursuing unity in our relationships with one another, within the body of Christ, within my family, Within my extended family, like with with people who profess faith in Jesus, are we pursuing unity with one another? Unity doesn't mean uniformity, right? This is where it gets hard. Unity doesn't mean we all look alike, walk alike, talk alike, vote vote alike, read the same news alike. That's not, that's, that's, that's like a cult. That's not good. You don't want to all look alike, talk alike, vote alike, right? We're actually, we're unique. We're unique people who have voluntarily submitted ourselves to Christ. We're following Jesus. So it's different men, women, and children, all walks of life, navigating life in different ways, but all under Jesus and his word. And there's, there's a command to, to seek unity. So we have to ask ourselves, marital, family, local church, are we pursuing unity in our relationships with one another? Look at verses 3 and 4. Are we seeking our own empty glory? Are we humbling ourselves? Are we acknowledging that other opinions that we might disagree with are still good opinions? Affirming those people even. Seeking unity. 
Are we looking out for not only our interest, but also the interest of others? We think about what we've gone through the last two years, the volatility of our day. Where in our church family have we heard someone say, our marriage, our extended family, have we heard somebody say one thing? And then from that moment on, we've interpreted everything they do, think, and say through that one comment so that it's fracturing our relationship with each other, right? We do that. We justify cutting one another off. Where are we stirring up division? Where are we whispering little morsels? Little, 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 little crumbs of tensions to point out the flaws in others and to, to pick ourselves up? Where are we closing our heart toward one another? Where are we chasing our empty glory at the expense of our relationships within the body of Christ? God's word is crying out If you have encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, if you've experienced fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if you have affection and compassion, then you can't forsake unity. If you have all that in Christ, then you absolutely, you have been equipped, you have been given everything you need for life and godliness to pursue unity. It's not okay to cut people out because of differing opinions. That's what God's word, it's not okay. It's not okay because the gospel says it's not okay, right? I mean, in Jesus, we have the one who actually did nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Jesus fulfills these passages perfectly, right? Jesus is the one who actually considered himself, considered others more important than himself, right? Jesus is the one who's full of glory, and yet, we're going to see this next Sunday in verse 7, he empties his glory. He emptied his glory so that he might take on humanity, so that he might take our sin at the cross, conquer it in the resurrection, so that he might give us his eternal glory. Isn't that amazing? Like, that's the gospel, just practically, what that means is that Jesus, he's in, he's in the heavens, he's God in the flesh, he's, he's, he's glory, and he looks at humanity, and we're chasing after selfishness and empty conceit, we're chasing after vanity, we're chasing after our opinions, we're chasing after like, look at me, look how smart I am, look at how everybody is stupid, I'm the only one who knows how to solve it, and what Jesus, he looks at all of that in humanity, and he, he says, I want to get near those people. Can you believe that? He says, I want to I step out of the heavens. I'm going to empty myself of my glory to come, to take on flesh, to walk among them, to take their sin upon myself at the cross, to conquer it, to give them my glory. Can you believe that? That's the gospel. I mean, Jesus is looking at the people, the, the people we hate. Let's be honest. Like, well, verses 3 and 4, they're describing characteristics of people that we don't want to be around. And that's the very people that Jesus gives his life for. 
we chase after glory, we will never find. But if we give up that pursuit, he, Jesus, will give us his glory for eternity. Isn't that good? And when we are given eternal glory in Christ, when we're given all those characteristics, then of course we can pursue unity in our relationships with one another. Of course, right? When we're given all that in Christ, of course. When we've been given friendship with God, by grace, undeserving through no effort of our own, best friend ever <laughs> we're given friendship with God we're clothed in his glory then of course we can listen to somebody else give an opinion that we disagree with and it be okay and it not just shatter our world run out of the room screaming of course of course we could do that right when we have eternal encouragement in Christ then of course we can share our opinions with gentleness. It doesn't have to be venom, you know, shaped words. As we just spew, you know, I'm just like, I mean, it's just like, it's just an opinion. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking, right? Of course we can do it like that. We've been given encouragement in Christ. When, when people don't agree with us 100%, we're not devastated. Of course we're not devastated because our, our, our identity, our hope, our security is not in you agreeing with my opinion about the event in the news. Right? Of course. When we have consolation of love in Christ, then of course we can spend time with people that we don't have everything in common. Of course. We can become curious about new faces that walk through our doors on a Sunday morning. And not really be concerned if they look like us, talk like us, walk like us, vote like us, think like us. Of course. All that we have in Jesus, of course. We can give our time to someone where relationships don't happen naturally. We think that sometimes. Well, it just, uh, it's, it's not easy. Uh, and of course, like, it's not. I'll give, up, I'll give up ease and comfort for all that we have in Jesus, of course. Listen, to church family, that's why we're challenging one another to share the gospel right now. We have this three-circle gospel presentation. If you're new, these three circles, you can share the gospel in three seconds, 30 seconds, 30 minutes. And so we're challenging our church family. You can go on YouTube. You can watch how to do it. Challenging, challenging our church family to share the gospel with somebody inside our church family and somebody outside of our church family. Why would we not? Like, we're living in a day right now where people, are, I mean, are upside down trying to navigate the fighting and the conflict of our day. And we have the answer in God's word. We have the answer in the gospel. So, of course, of course we could respond to this challenge, right? Why would we? Why would we not? Why would we not? Right now, we, we have three cards that have been turned in. We're praying that 75 people would fill out these cards, turn it in. You know, one of those three cards is a nine-year-old girl. You know, she, share, she wrote it. She shared the three-circle gospel presentation with a friend at school. A nine-year-old girl said, of course, here you go. Because like, the gospel's that good. 
God's word is that good, so of course, right? It is. We, how good is God's word? We planned this a year ago. It's like exactly what we need right now. Exactly what we need right now. I'm so, so thankful for God's word. I'll end with a story. You guys might know this, uh, this reference. I'm 47 years old now, so I'm getting old enough now. I'll be like, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm too old. Maybe you're not old enough to know this reference. But have you ever met anybody when, uh, you know, based on how they live their life, uh, people will say to them, they'll say, oh, well, they, they grew up in the Great Depression. You ever hear that? Like that? They, uh, they, you know, they're frugal, right? They know how to stretch a dollar, right? They, uh, they, they save everything, you know, they, they, they're, they're using, you know, everything for anything because, you know, and then, and then people will say like, ah, you know, they grew up in the Great, Great Depression. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, that Great Depression, right? Makes sense. We got like our young people growing, growing up today, right? I mean, it's possible that like a, a few years from now, maybe 10 years from now, that they're going to display like characteristics, right? Certain, certain quality characteristics of of life, and, and, and people are going to say, like, oh, what is it about that generation? And they're going to say, you know who those people are? They're of the great pandemic. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what, what the pandemic's going to leave on the young people of our day. More than likely, there's going to be some characteristics, right, that when you have a, 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 a shared experience, it produces common characteristics among that group of people. That's what God's Word is teaching. Right, that when your shared experience is faith in Christ and you've been given encouragement, affection, compassion, fellowship, right, when you've been, when, when you've been given all that in Christ, he says, it's going to produce a certain quality, a certain characteristic. That's what we want to see in our lives as followers of Jesus. Right? Follower of Jesus at North Village Church, the city of Austin, the United States, around the world. That because of our faith in Jesus, we would have those types of characteristics. Listen to me. Listen, if you see those characteristics in your life, then be greatly encouraged. Be greatly encouraged that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Through faith in Jesus, you have been equipped to obey that command to seek unity. You have everything you need to do it. If you don't see those characteristics... then believe in Jesus today. Believe in Jesus today. Believe in Jesus today, and he will become personal, and you will see those characteristics, those qualities show up in your life. That's what happened in my life. That's what will happen in your life. Will you close your eyes? Will you pray with me?